Welcome to the SFDC Consultant Podcast, the podcast where we have open discussions with Salesforce consultants, administrators, and architects. My name is Emmerich, and in this episode, I will be speaking with Warren Walters, a Salesforce development practice lead at AdVictorium Solutions. Alongside his development experience, Warren has been creating content on YouTube where he shared some interesting development tutorials and projects. Additionally, if you find this episode interesting, I would really appreciate if you could share this episode with your peers, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review. My name is Warren Walters. I'm a senior developer at a platinum consulting firm. So I started out in Salesforce as a lowly administrator slash developer intern, actually. And I worked my way along at a few different companies up to a developer. Uh, I originally, or my background starts out with uh, computer science. So I went to uh, university for information technology and I studied programming pretty intensively. And from there, I kind of fell into Salesforce from my internship and then continued to grow and work on it. So a lot of my responsibilities now that I'm a lead developer is um, working with my development team to grow the expertise and continue to bring up all of the developers that we have on our plate. And then also uh, a lot of the projects that we deal with are very development heavy. So that means integrations, complex triggers, lightning web components, and a lot of different aspects of Salesforce development, even moving into things like integrating Salesforce with uh, React or pulling data from different areas in terms of like Heroku and Node.js. So there's a lot of outside of the normal development that we're doing. And it's really my job to kind of get the wealth of knowledge out from the team and spread it around and make sure that everybody's able to work on these projects as best as they can. Perfect. Perfect. That, that kind of paints, paints a, paints a good picture in terms of that. What I was going to say is in terms of when you said, you, you know, you started with, with admin slash developer and then you kind of ended up as a developer and, and which was an internship. I have heard this, this approach before in terms of, you know, people saying, how do I start within Salesforce? Well, you have a few options. One, you can be an accidental admin, which, which is a very extremely common approach. Secondly is, yeah, you, you just run these, these internships, you know, you look for them and, and you start to put some experience on your, on your CV. The one thing I want, or probably kind of two areas that I wanted to, uh, to concentrate here is, is, Firstly, in terms of you said, you know, kind of managing your development team and pr- trying to kind of at, at least spread the knowledge that exists within the team so everyone has access to. In, in that, that probably part, I would want to kind of concentrate on the, I guess, in, inter, you know, what I, would, what I would probably like stakeholder engagement within the company. And, and that means, you know, with, with everyone that is a participant on a project. And secondly, I would want from, again, from a development point of view in terms of how you protect your, your own kind of work and, and how you, you kind of keep safe on that. On, on the first point I was going to say is how, how would you describe a, a standard project team? Who, how, how, how would uh, that be structured whenever you have one of these projects they work on? Do you have a product manager? Do you have a project manager? What's, what's kind of a, a, a starting point? Because I guess each one is different, but you, sure. you should probably, I mean, you, you probably have a number of commonalities in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the project teams, they primarily consist of a project manager, 
a technical lead of some sort. So that could be a, an architect, an administrative, an administrative lead, or even a development lead. And then you'll have the consultants underneath that project, which could be any sort of people like business analysts, developers, or admins. So in terms of the team structure, there's generally those three major categories. And if we want to talk more about the, the lead and uh, consultant piece, because the project manager manages the project, they're, they're not that hands-on. That's what the, the rest of the team is for. So when we talk about the, the technical lead on the project, you could have a developer or an admin and a very diverse skill set. But on development-heavy projects, you may have uh, somebody who is very experienced in the on the development side of things. So let's say we're doing a really heavy integration and it's all code and barely any configuration type, type of deal. You'll have a, a technical lead that is a developer that kind of brings the team together to understand and break down all the different points of the project so that you know, they could be passed out and user stories could be created. And so that you can actually understand the project because bringing in a technical lead that maybe isn't as familiar with development may cause some issues or maybe a little bit of back and forth between it. Um, and then going deeper into that, let's say it's a 50, 50 split on the project of, um, Hey, we need, we have some configuration work, some development work. Uh, you'll have like an architect on the team that will, break down the project, work with the various consultants on the team to understand what needs to get done at what point, how long each thing is going to take, each task is going to take, and then uh, create the user stories and start to actually do the work on the project. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. So from, from your point of view, as a, as a, as a you know, uh, developer lead or, you know, as a lead in terms of, in terms of that part, how is that how is that presented to you or how how what is kind of your your take in terms of you know those requirements and are you getting involved throughout the way i guess it kind of depends on your role on that particular project as well but as developers would you get um, uh, involved along the way or are you just presented those user stories when when they're quote unquote kind of finished and, and mm -hmm. ready to be developed how 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 is that uh, what is that approach yeah so in a perfect world, we would be involved right at the beginning. We're able to help in the initial scoping of the project, so maybe even do pre-sales on it. And then once we have the actual project, we're, we're there to help break down the user stories and get the information that we need from the actual client itself. So that may mean we're sitting there and doing client meetings and talking to the client to understand their requirements. In other instances, you may just get the user stories without ever even knowing what, what, what's in the SOW or what, what's going on in the project. You just get slapped something. Here's your integration. You need to talk to here, this and this. And it's like, well, we've never seen this before, but here we go anyways. We're going to try to get it done. So yeah. I think it varies a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, because in a way, that's a good thing and it's a bad thing. You know, the bad thing is like, yes, you would say, well, I would really prefer you know, to, to be involved uh, from the beginning. But I would probably say from like a, 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 I don't know, like a business, have the kind of the business cap on is you wouldn't really want to waste a developer's time on, mm -hmm. on pre-sales. And secondly, if you have the resource that will actually know and understand the technicalities and, and just be able to present 
a correctly structured user story to a developer and mm-hmm. technically you have you know you have the resource that you need in there so you don't really need the developer in there so that's why i'm thinking probably good thing bad thing uh, the fact yeah. that you were kind of sometimes presented in that way the other thing i was going to i was going to ask is how do you deal with potentially you know miscommunication because that's probably kind of at the core of any conflict so i wouldn't mm-hmm. want to say you know uh, how do you deal with conflict it's like conflict is probably kind of the uh, you know the conclusion of of the basic miscommunication or misunderstanding sure. and all of that and and how how do you deal with that to keep everyone in the loop from your point of view in terms of you know what you're developing do you do you you know keep your product manager or or you know whoever passes or the architect in the loop with your development slate do you guys use any tools for that what is your what is your approach yeah communication is key in all of this and You as a consultant, you definitely know this, but for anybody just starting out, communication is uh, key to any project success, in my opinion. So if you are questioning or if if you don't know about something, don't just hold it in. Get in front of any problem that you have and raise a red flag instantly because it is better to get in front of an issue early until it, before it becomes a problem. So I'll just leave that out there as the first thing that that you should do. And I try to follow in a lot of my projects is just over communicate because that will um, start to reduce headaches. So when we look at the overall issue of like dealing with conflict and, and it's kind of like reducing scope creep in a sense, it, it's really about getting in front of the client uh, in terms of the project and making sure that what you're building is actually what they want. So this means in classic uh, agile fashion, doing demos every week or every so often in your sprint and just getting in front of the client and make, making sure that they are testing internally when it comes to like project managers and project architects, if you are just working on a specific piece of code, it means working with your project team to make sure that what you're building is actually what the client is expecting or what everybody else is expecting. So once again, that goes back to communication. Maybe after you're done with the section, you say, Hey, I'm done with this specific piece. Come over here and look at it, check it out. And that's a big thing that I try to push towards my team is just to make sure as many eyes that can be on your specific section are on there because you don't want to end up at the end of a project or halfway through the project, um, going to the client or going to the project manager and saying, okay, here's what I built. And they say, this is completely wrong. We need to do it all over again. That's the worst feeling. That's that's the worst feeling, and yeah, I mean that's you know again from from a business point of view that's you know potentially you know you need to kind of quote unquote kind of take a hit in order to sustain the relationship with the client, mm-hmm. and then yeah, the one thing you mentioned there is is the idea of scope creep and potential you know presumably or potentially a lot of the a lot of the conflicts, especially when it comes to the client, is either not delivering what the client is looking for or potentially the client having a few assumptions in their back pocket that they're they're hoping that they will be kind of slided in throughout these types of conversations so going to that how what is your what is your experience when it comes to scope creep have you had it and and, and secondly what's your kind of approach to potentially deal with that and what what's probably the the most common way of, of getting that because mm-hmm. there are probably a few commonalities in terms of how that kind of shows itself towards the end of the project. Yeah. 
scope have i dealt with scope creep of course 100 percent. i would say if a consultant has not dealt with scope creep i want to know who their pre-sales team is and i want to take them because they they must be amazing i think with the the idea of how to like combat this or where it kind of comes from in my mind, it will originally start with the pre-sales conversation or the SOW type of, before you even get to hands to keyboard and start typing or doing anything like that. Uh, it's about setting the correct foundation for the client so that what they have in their head is actually taken out and put either on paper or some, some, some sort of print so that you know uh, this is exactly what they want and it's not just floating around and they're making assumptions on it. So I think that's the first piece is just having the correct conversations with the client to bring out whatever's in their mind into life so that we can actually understand it. And you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. Everybody's idea of how a screen or a page or you know a process should work may be a little bit different in their head, but at the end of the day, you have to try to extract as much information out of them so that when you start building this, it it actually makes sense and it's what they're expecting. So that's probably the first piece. The second piece is kind of what I've said before with being able to do like iterative processes and iterative demos with whoever you're working with so that what they're expecting is what you're actually building. So there's a lot of times where we'll demo something with a client and it's moving in the right direction. And maybe two weeks later, they're saying, Oh, well, you know, we don't want this page over here anymore. We want it flipped around and turned upside down and moved over here. And for us, it, it really depends on how, big that flip is if it's as easy as like checking a checkbox we'll move it over but if it's moving mountains then we're gonna have to have a conversation about hey this is what we expected versus uh, here's what we expected and what we said we were going to do versus what you are now asking us to do and that that boils down to the pre-sales piece of things and getting it on paper so that's like the statement of work the sow and also the brd the business requirements document, which is kind of the more detailed version of everything that we are going to build. It's really about making sure that everybody understands what everyone is expecting. So from the client side, they want X, Y, and Z. From our side, we're saying we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And if you do a, let's say an SOW well or BRD well, you'll have like an exclusions or out of scope items that says we will not do C under any circumstances unless you pay us. So I think that really helps in terms of reducing scope creep and having things in concrete. A lot of times you may not have that type of uh, documentation and information written in stone, but it's a lot easier to say, hey, you guys signed off on this BRD. There's, it says that we're not gonna do C, we're not gonna do this lightning web component. Unless you, you know, give us the extra hours or you pay us, you know, the extra thousand dollars to get it done, we are not doing that. And it's really easy, you know, it's the power of paper and, the, and a signature. It's really easy to say that versus you not having anything and then it's, well, oh, I thought we were going to include that. You know, it made sense to make this workflow or make it automated. It's, I have to type this in manually type of deal. So it's really good to have it written down, you know, the best you can. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, if I've I've had a bit of experience when it comes to that, and I think there are a few there are a few things. You know, you, you mentioned like a second piece of document, which is like a a more detailed version of the statement of work, and in my mind is like, well, okay, well that in itself needs uh, writing and all that, but actually it will save you more until the end of the project than not investing that time at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I, I think with consulting, like everything's about our time, right? We're selling our time, we're selling our mind and our expertise, but ultimately it's like we generally it's, we said we're going to do something in X amount of hours. Here's what we are expecting to do. We think we can do it at this time. Here's a document that says we can do what, what you think at a, for a specific amount of time. From there, if there's fluctuations or assumptions in there, you can kind of add them in and take them out depending on how the project is going, but you don't want to go over that. You know, you, it's, it's better to have your time solidified and documented out versus just kind of willy-nilly flip-flopping between a lot of the the different avenues that you're going down and, and making assumptions as you go out throughout the project. It can really lead to, you know, some friction between you and the client. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. The last point I was going to, going to cover here and uh, I've had, I've had a few, a few discussions with other architects, consultants, et cetera. And, and the one commonality that I have found there is for example, in case you're thinking of, of starting within Salesforce, potentially, or the, the objective should be potentially to kind of concentrate on one particular uh, segment. So if you're a sales cloud person, if you're a service cloud, you know, communities, et cetera, because as a consultant, you become a specialist in an area. Of course, you can diversify and you can, you know, follow different paths within the industry, but potentially just like honing in that. When it comes to development, it's, in my mind, it's a different ball game, if it makes sense. <laughs> because if you are receiving correct user stories, detailed user stories, you know, process maps, etc., in 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 a way, you don't really care if you're building for a, a trigger or an Apex class or or a Lightning component, bringing data for your opportunities, or bringing data for your cases, or bringing mm -hmm. data for for whatever. So, so my question for you would be what what's your take around that are there uh, specialities if it makes sense within mm -hmm. development probably i'm thinking you know things like commerce cloud or, or marketing mm -hmm. cloud potentially there may be a bit of a bit of speciality there but when it comes to the core platform are there you know segments within that or or you don't think there are i think there are specialties and things that people can become experts in in the core platform let's just take for example I'll, I'll say core development right so that may be apex triggers and a lot of the general uh, i'm doing air quotes like back-end salesforce development mm -hmm. But then you have specialties like Lightning Web Components and Visual Force Pages, Aura, Commerce Cloud, which is completely separate, B2B, uh, B2B Commerce. And there's even specialties based on the different clouds that are currently out there. So there's some funky stuff around like Field Service Lightning and just working with 
the field service lightning objects and the queries that you can call. Same thing with uh, community cloud, because if you want to do interactions with the community page builder or build like a specific header, you're going to need some background knowledge to kind of understand that. I'm not saying that a normal or somebody who, ha who isn't experienced in B2B is, as a developer will not be able to do anything or complete a B2B user story or, or code in it. It's just going to take them longer. It, it, it goes back to the time and experience with things. If you're, if you've never written FSL code before, it may be a little bit confusing and there's new limits and constraints put on you because of the FSL objects versus if you've already have experience with that, you already know, Hey, this is something that I'm going to run into. I'll have to write my code or my trigger in this specific way to get around it automatically versus writing all of your code, hitting the roadblock, researching how to get around it, and then redoing your code. So it boils down to experience and going back to a lot of um, the information we talked about earlier, which is just if you can predict some of the issues that you're going to have in like pre-sales or beforehand, you can kind of build your scopes a little bit better and build your user stories a little bit better so that you're, you're able to not spend extra time learning on the job where you already have the experience to take care of the stuff. And when we talk about like lightning web components and uh, user interface types of things, that's like a whole different ballgame because you have like lightning web components and aura, and inside of that, you'll have the specialities of like uh, UX, UI, so interface design, and then the interesting pieces of Lightning Web components that go around like, how do we, should we use a wire adapter versus just calling a, an, an Apex imperative method or not? So there, there's definitely some specialities. I think it's good to be well-rounded in a lot of the sense, so knowing a lot of the things, but maybe not. Um, specialize 100% on one specific thing unless it's like really big and of course I, I missed the biggest one you could you could be like an integration specialist like integrations as a whole is its own like uh, subdomain inside of Salesforce programming because integrations happen all the time and almost every one of my projects that I deal with there's some sort of integration that I'm writing and if I would say if there's one thing to specialize in, it may be just integrations and understanding the core architecture and how to write really well-defined and well-written integrations, you know, both ways throughout the platform. Yeah, yeah, that, 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 that does make sense. I mean, even, like I said, even with, uh, with consultants, the idea is like, you know, if, if you know, you know, sales cloud, it doesn't mean that you can't implement service cloud, but it'll probably mm -hmm. take you a bit longer. You know, you'll probably need to research a few things and, and, and get through that last piece on, on this is, is is probably again linked with with you know developers but we're kind of moving towards the career part in terms of it's it's no there's no you know kind of a secret around the fact that salesforce skills are are in need and and of course Salesforce are trying to push this with trail trailhead and a lot of you know community members pushing out tutorials and 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 you know, videos around that and that is shared, etc. What I was going to ask around that is would would someone make a decision to become a Salesforce developer 
or would they make a decision to become a developer and then you know from there potentially all kind of you know spread or what would be your recommendation in case you are to to advise you know someone going into college or or someone or or someone just just you know thinking about you know career change or you know they're mm-hmm. they're at the point in time you know should should people just jump straight in into apex and try to you know figure out triggers, figure out apex and so on. And so probably that's kind of, you know, the, the, I guess in my mind, somehow the easiest way to kind of to start with mm-hmm. if we take the declarative stuff out of the way, or would you advise, you know, just start the, the correct path of, you know, try to learn HTML, CSS and so on and so forth. Right. For new grads, I will always recommend studying computer science in some way, shape or form whether that's MIS or computer science, IT, whatever floats your boat, I will always recommend some sort of computer science background. You know, computers are the way of the future in my mind. And I've, I've done, I've been successful going down the path of programming and that type of stuff. For career change, I would, uh, you may get differences of opinions on this, but I recommend going down the traditional development path first before trying to go down and just learn Apex, you know, straight out the gate. Not saying that you can't just learn Apex and be successful, but there are a lot of intricate pieces to development and programming in general that you will, I won't say you won't learn it, but it it may not be presented that heavily while you're learning Salesforce specific development. If you learn Java development as a whole, you'll understand classes and patterns along with the normal things like if statements, for loops, and how how code works itself. But there's a deeper computer science aspect to programming that I try to instill into people as they start to learn it, like time complexity. Uh, you kind of get a glimpse of what time complexity is with Salesforce development with the limits that they impose on you. Uh, You might wonder, you know, your code is only allowed to run for five seconds in, in Salesforce, no longer than five seconds. And, And people who maybe don't study like data structures and computer science may not know why understand fully why that's there. And it's around the multi-tenant, architecture that Salesforce has, but it's really so that your code doesn't lock up the system. That That's plain and simple, but there's a piece behind that around like what your code is actually doing and how long it takes to execute fully that normal Salesforce development and teaching will, as far as I see, I've seen, will not teach you. So there's that aspect of it, I think that traditional development will kind of teach you data structures and time complexities and a lot of the more detailed computer science topics that may not be covered inside of Salesforce. But if you're kind of like mid, mid, like mid career shift, you're you're not a new grad or anything like that. I'd recommend going the admin to developer route. So you're growing your administrative skills. You're continuing to learn Salesforce and what Salesforce actually is. It's hard to just grasp what Salesforce is until you're in it. So I think having an admin role will really help you understand what Salesforce is, what it does, what it can do, and then work your way into a developer. Uh, like a full-time or a junior developer position. 
from there, you can hopefully learn and build on top of the knowledge you had as an admin to become a full-fledged developer and learn some of the background items of development that you may not have been taught and you just kind of picked up as you learned Salesforce development. Perfect, perfect. Well, what I was going to say is thank you for your time. And in case you want to, you know, share some of uh, some of your your you know profiles. Do you, you do LinkedIn? Do you do YouTube, Twitter? What's your what's your social of what's your social network of, of choice there? Sure. I think LinkedIn is the biggest one. So you can find me at LinkedIn.com slash Walters954. And then on YouTube as well, you can find me at well, uh, slash Walters954. I guess YouTube.com slash Walters954. So check me out there. I do YouTube tutorials and willing to help out anybody on some topics that they may have. Consulting, mentoring, development, you name it. I'll, I'll help you out the best I can.